pitch, swing and a drive, deep to right field, way up there, way out of here, goodbye baseball. Eight strikeout the- for the King tonight and make it 23 consecutive scoreless innings for Phoenix. Strike three called on the outside corner and there it is. It's time for the Seattle Mariners baseball podcast. Kyle Seager, that just happened. Thank you very much. Now, here's your host, Gary Hill. All right, welcome to the Seattle Mariners baseball podcast. Gary Hill here. Thanks for being here. This is a big, big podcast. You chose wisely. Here's what we have. We have Aaron Goldsmith. He's going to be here. We have a Volt Mariners segment coming up. We're going to talk a little bit about second base and the state of the current voting conditions in the American League and how that can be rectified. We'll talk about third base as well. We'll also talk about James Paxson. But a Volt Mariners segment means there'll be a ticket giveaway as well coming up. So you get to enjoy that. Uh, Tom McNamara will be here. Shannon Dreyer sits down with him. The draft starts today, so we'll have a lot of draft coverage, especially next week after the Mariners' picks start to roll in today. Love the draft, so we'll be talking quite a bit about that. Also, fantastic game last night, so we'll be covering plenty of that as well. Lots of reaction and plenty of highlights as well, as Taiwan Walker was simply sensational. So... A lot of great stuff to get to, and let's start with Taiwan Walker. Looking to bounce back from a tough start in Texas, and boy, did he bounce back in a big way, just dealing against Cleveland. Walker's 2-2, swing and a miss for strike three, back-to-back strikeouts. Jimenez is way late on a 96-mile-an-hour heater, and Walker picks up now his fifth strikeout. He was throwing heat, 94, 95, 96, really from the get-go. He was being aggressive with a fastball, pounding the strike zone, and racking up Ks in this one. Walker pauses, goes into the windup and the pitch. Swing and a miss for strike three. The changeup this time dazzles Tristan Hall as he cuts right over the top of it. And Taiwan Walker, back-to-back strikeouts to start the seventh, and he's fanned nine Indians hitters. Nine hitters at that point, and he just kept on rolling. Taiwan ready the pitch to Tyler Naquin. Strike three called. And there it is. Strikeout number 10 for the ball game for Taiwan Walker. He gets Tyler Naquin for the third time in the ball game. Ten strikeouts for Walker, and he is a humming tonight. He is a humming. No doubt. Absolutely rolling against Cleveland, and he would add one more to the tally. The 3-2 pitch, swing, and a miss, strike three. Side retire, and there it is. Strikeout number 11 for Taiwan Walker. What a performance tonight for Walker. He matches his season high. He struck out 11 Astros back on April the 25th. Holy smokes, Taiwan Walker, absolutely outstanding. Tough to have a better line than this. Eight innings, three hits, all singles, no runs, no walks, and 11 punch outs on 110 pitches. The definition of dominant. He retired the first nine hitters he saw, and he was just dominant against Cleveland. A very good hitting team, and we'll get to that in just a second. But And all the offense supplied by his battery mate, 
It's hard to imagine a better night for a batter. You have the starter going eight scoreless, punching out 11. And then on the catcher side of things, he provided all the punch, Chris Iannetta. Here it comes. He swings, clocks it high, left field. Davis looking, looking, nearing the wall. Davis leaps out, it's gone into the bullpen. Two-run homer by Iannetta on pitch number one. And the Mariners strike first. They strike early. It's 2 nothing Mariners on Iannetta's fifth home run of the season. That one just uh, tucked that over the wall into the bullpen. His next home run in the fifth inning, this was no doubt. 3-2 offer. Swing and a well-hit ball again to left field. This one not coming back. Goodbye baseball up for deck. Chris Iannetta into the upper deck about four rows back. His second home run of the night. Holy smokes. And it's now the Mariners three. I should say Chris Iannetta three. And the Indians nothing. His fifth and his sixth home runs of the year. And he would add an RBI double as well with a smash to center field. The three two. Swinging it, slice, slapped right back into center field. It sends Naquin moving back. It's out of the warning track and it bounces off the wall. It caroms to Naquin's glove. And Marte, after a single and two steals, just crawls down the line from third base. Chris Iannetta has driven in all four Mariners runs tonight. The Mariners' number nine hitter has made this a 4 nothing game. Some defense along the way helping the cause as well. First pitch to Uribe. He swings and flies it to right field. This since Gutierrez racing back to the warning track. Gutierrez near the wall. He leaps. Oh, Gutierrez makes the catch. He crashes into the wall, tumbles out of the warning track, and he holds on. And Taiwan Walker tips his cap to Gutierrez in right field. Tremendous catch there as this was a game where it really all came together. Starting pitching was outstanding. Offense certainly got the job done. Defense there as well. Vincent came on to close it down in terms of bullpen. 5 nothing. The Mariners beat Cleveland. Just three hits in the ball game for Cleveland as Taiwan Walker sensational. The breakdown looks spectacular. He was sitting 96 with his fastball. He touched 97.8 and just filthy. Generated 12 swings and misses with just the fastball alone. I mean, J- Cleveland just cutting through the heater as he was moving it all over the zone. Through the changeup as well, 20 times in the ball game with good success as well. Although, I think every hit, every hit, I think, was off the changeup in the ball game. Four put in play and three were base hits. But mixing that in as well, but the fastball was just dynamite against Cleveland in the ballgame last night. And you look at it now, Mariners now hold a 2-1 to series lead on Cleveland in this three-game set. And the Indians came in just red hot offensively. I mean, this is a team coming into this series, was third in the American League and runs scored per game at 4.87. And you look at what Mariners pitching has done They've just allowed four runs in this series so far. Four runs in this series. So that's below what the Indians were scoring in a ball game. And Mariners starters are on fire. We talked about that tough stretch, that nine-game stretch with an ERA over nine. Well, look at this now. 
where the Mariners' last four games, the starters, 28 innings pitched, two earned runs, 31 punch-outs during the stretch. They really got it rolling, and not a surprise, the Mariners 3-1 and one during that stretch. So that's been great to see, and it was punctuated by Walker last night. Here's what the skipper, Scott Service, he was very pleased with Taiwan Walker. Kind of the Taiwan you've been waiting to see. Yeah, I hadn't seen that one uh, since April. Um, really, really happy for him. You know, he struggled a little bit uh, his last few outings and uh, spent a lot of time, give a lot of credit to Mel, uh, working on some things, trying to get him to figure out who exactly he is. And that, tonight, what you saw, just very aggressive, uh, attacking with the fastball, you know, at the upper edges of the strike zone. And, and he's tough to hit, you know, especially in this ballpark. And thing that I was most excited about, he, you know, he had the edge, he, the emotion, it was high, you know, he was like, I'm the guy, you know, and I'm going to take the ball and, and run with it tonight. And, you know, great outing. You know, can't say enough. And you know, catcher was okay tonight, too. Uh, great, great night for, for Chris, obviously, to catch a ball game like that. And then, um, you know, swing the bat the way he did. Um, happy for him, excited uh, for him. Uh, those are one of those nights it doesn't happen too often. And, uh, you know, he, he took advantage of some pitches. And the you know, last at bat, too, he, he scalded that ball to center field. So great night. Uh, good battery mates tonight. What could you say the week that Ionette has had? I mean, you said you, he didn't have to come in and do what he did early the other day, but he did and, and put in the work. And Yeah, he's a pro, you know, and he, he's a very uh, hard on himself, probably as hard as anybody we have on our team. Um, but, uh, you know, he, he's got a few hits to fall in Texas, started to get a little confidence back there. You know, he's been struggling a little bit against right-handed pitching, and his at-bats tonight were, were awesome. You know, he squared up a couple. The home run, the second home run was a bomb. You know, he, he really hit that one. But, uh, you, know, it's just, you know, it's a long season, um, and he's been through the, the grind before, and you, know, you can't get too high, too low. But nice to see him bounce back here in June. He's been, been really encouraging. Where did that edge with Taiwan come from? Did you have a little talk with him, too? Or, uh... Yeah, we, like I said, Mel did a great job. <laughs> what was better about Taiwan's fastball tonight? Uh, throwing it in certain parts of the strike zone where, you know, I think it, you know, you try to help guys out and get them to understand. And, you know, they can certainly look at video. Um, people from, you know, we work together on this stuff, guys from upstairs, you know, talking with Emmanuel, with myself, kind of the numbers, what they you know, say, and then, and, you know, you can have all these discussions, and but the key is to, to get it to the player, you know, communicate it to the player in a way that he can understand it and put it in on the field. And that's kind of, you know, where myself and the coaching staff come in. So uh, team effort, but uh, awesome job by uh, Taiwan putting it in play tonight. Great job by Taiwan Walker. It was excellent. Chris Sionetta, a big game as well. Here's what he had to say. Chris. How do you sum up these last few days for you? We've seen ups, we've seen downs, and we've seen some baseballs fly out. Yeah, it's been it's been baseball. It really has. You know, I started off really good where I wanted to be, and then I went through a stretch where I just wasn't getting any hits. I wasn't making solid contact, but I couldn't really pinpoint anything other than maybe just a little bit of a timing issue, and there's not much you can do about that. You know, you can't, can't replicate game speed. You can't replicate arms and any other type of a drill. Cage work was really good. I was doing exactly what I wanted to do in the cage. I'd come out to BP, and I was hitting balls to all fields the way I wanted to, better than I have been in a long time, and wasn't getting any results, and that's that's very frustrating. Um, but, you know, it takes 
try to lean on the experience and try to have some sort of maturity, which doesn't always happen, and say, you know, I've been through this before and it's going to turn. It's just baseball, and, and it has, which is what I'm thankful for. Patience is huge in this game, and it sounds like you had it. You mentioned that you felt like you were doing everything right in the cages, as you just said, but you just weren't getting the barrel on the ball. You got the barrel on the ball, particularly with that second home run. Yeah, I felt great. Uh, I felt really great, you know, seeing the ball well, and able to put the barrel on it, you know, making solid contact is all I've been trying to do, and it, it's paid off. Taiwan Walker out there tonight. We saw him go about his business all week. He seemed very determined. What did he take into the game from the work that he had this week? You know, he made, did a really good job of making adjustments. He made adjustments to his game plan. Um, he simplified things. Um, he pitched with a purpose. He pitched with, he attacked certain locations, which he, I think he, instead of throwing, just throwing the ball early on, he really attacked certain locations. And it was, it was very apparent to me that he, he had that game plan and was really doing a good job executing it. In Texas, he seemed like he was just trying to place the ball and he was using a lot of his arm and his tempo was a little bit slow and wasn't using his legs. I mean, he's one of the biggest pitchers in the game. He's a big, tall, strong dude. Probably could be an NFL tight end. And he was—he probably wasn't using, you know, his legs the way he should. And tonight he definitely was. He was driving the ball in there, up in the zone, both sides of the plate, and using his changeup really well, effectively. So there it is. Good breakdown there on Taiwan Walker. Mariners win. They beat Cleveland. A chance to take a four-game series, which is not an easy thing to do, especially against a first-place team, Cleveland in first place in the Central. Cleveland will go with Josh Tomlin tonight, 8-1, a 3-5-4 ERA. He's been very good on the road, an ERA under three. He's been very good overall this year. His last time out against Kansas City just gave up one run in six and a third innings at home. Meanwhile, the M's will go with Nathan Carnes, who will take the ball. Looking to bounce back after a tough start in Texas, just did not have his command. 5-2, and two, a 4-2-3 ERA, and a chance for the M's to take a series against Cleveland, and it really would set the table for a big weekend against the Texas Rangers, with certainly revenge on the mind with Texas coming in over the weekend. So that gets you ready for tonight. Now, right now, we're going to have our Vote Mariners segment with a few other things mixed in with Aaron Goldsmith. But before we do, this is this is your signal. We're going to do it a little different than last time. I guess I miscalculated how many early risers there are in the podcast listening audience. There's a lot of you that get up very early, I found out, last time around. So there's not going to be a time limit on this one. Well, I should say there, it's not going to be first come, first serve. So what's going to happen is... All you have to do is tweet me at Gary Hill Jr. or email me, GaryHillPXP at gmail.com. Just email the word Seeger or tweet the word Seeger to me. And I'm going to collect them all that come in before noon Pacific. So again, the word Seeger, tweet or email, gets to me before noon Pacific. It all goes into the hat. I'm going to pull out the winner. The winner will get two tickets to the Mariners taking on Baltimore on June 30th. That also happens to be the final day of voting. So June 30th, Mariners taking on Baltimore at Safeco Field. That's a 7-10 first pitch, a Thursday game. So, again, Gary Hill Jr. or GaryHillPXP at gmail.com, the word Seeger. Good luck. To the six, all even at two, and for the play-by-play, here's Aaron. They're booing me, Rick. Not me. 
That was right on cue. If they knew you, they would never <laughs> boo you, buddy. One-two pitch, swing and a miss. Oh, did he get tied up? That was dirty from Felix. Picks up the dirties, washes them, and brings them back fresh. And we got Aaron Goldsmith here. Hair just glistening in the sunlight, so it's pretty distracting. I'm a happily married man with a child on the way, and I love Katy Perry. Um, that is that is me in a nutshell, and I talk about the Mariners on the radio every night. So kind of let it eat. Oh, well, breaking news: the bees are still there. You look up above the mound, and it looks like you're staring up to the mothership, like you could be beamed up at any moment. That white roof with all the circles and the scaffolding. Way out of here to right field. Thank you very much. This is why this segment has become so critical, because when you look at voting at second base, Robinson is going to go third, Altuve first. I documented both of those guys, MVP candidates, but it's the guy in between that that just doesn't, doesn't quite fit, which is why voting is important. <laughs> you must be referring to Omar Infante. <laughs> That's exactly this right. This is exactly what we went through last year, is it not? It's a, that's exactly right. And you look at the numbers, and it's just, it's not even close. Altuve and Cano, MVP candidates, and there's Infante stuck between them in second in voting. Well, Infante only has about 90,000 more votes than Cano, so go figure that out. Yeah, You know, Gary, I, I obviously even the most casual of baseball fan realizes the injustice that this is, at least where it currently sits, right? And a lot, a lot can still change. But I... I I thought Buster Olney really made a great point when talking about all-star voting. I don't know if you heard this or not, Gary, but he he referred to this as a loose ball on a basketball court. (laughs) And this is a hustle play. Uh And I thought that was exactly the way to, uh, to, to compare this to something in real life, kind of. And that is, listen, if you want Cano to have more votes than Infante... Just do what you're already doing instead of playing words with friends. Just <laughs> use your phone to vote, right? I mean, instead of chasing, checking f- Facebook, just go to MLB.com and vote. Like, I totally agree. Like, I, how can you not agree, right? We watch this guy every day. He's having uh, an MVP. Forget All-Star. He's having an MVP caliber season, as, as he is right now and as the Mariners are in many ways. But, hey, Kansas City... I was talking to Randy Adamack, the director of communications for the Mariners, and I said, Randy, where, what are market sizes, right? Is Kansas City the smallest market in baseball? And he did a quick look, and he thinks, and he, well, he doesn't think, he knows, Milwaukee is smaller and Cincinnati is smaller. So we'll put Kansas City as the 28th market in Major League Baseball, and they got all their guys up there. I mean, good for – I. I, I hate to say it, but good for the Royals fans. I don't know; they're more passionate. I, don't, I mean, I'm not knocking Mariners fans, or I mean, how do you think? How do you think um, Frazier in Chicago? Chicago's not a big enough market. I'm at top five, right? Where's Todd Frazier in the third baseman voting? I, it's a, it's a crime, but it's the system, and the system is actually an easy system to play. You just spend your whole day on the phone voting, which is what yeah. people do in some other regards already. Yeah, and what we've been doing, it, it's fun. We're looking at, at guys that are worthy and went over second base last time. Cano, Altuve, obviously very worthy. I want to talk about third base, because I think third base is pretty interesting. Manny Machado is going to be an all-star. I mean, you talk about MVP candidates, he's But won. should he be an all-star at third but, base? Yeah, here's the question. He's not playing third base anymore. He's going to have more games at shortstop then third base by the time the All-Star game hits, which I think really makes the position pretty interesting, and Kyle Seager in particular, where he fits. 
He's not going to stay at shortstop all year. But if he did, could he win a gold glove as a third baseman? I mean, you know what <laughs> yeah, I mean? Yeah. Like, right. uh, the, the, I think you're right. If you look at the top two vote-getters at third base, one has played shortstop more, uh-huh. and the other is on the DL for the rest of the season. That's Mike Moustakis. So uh, the top two, it's kind of – and Travis Shaw of the Red Sox is in the top five. Not that he's having a bad year by any means, but we already mentioned Frazier who's been among the league leaders in home runs. Not that that's what it's all about, but he's certainly deserving of some all-star votes, and he's not even in the top five. Unfortunately for Seager, that April obviously hurt him, and he's already playing from a little bit behind just because he's up in the outpost of the Northwest, sadly enough. Uh, But we've seen him. He's playing at an all-star level. I think this is going to – if the voting kind of stays somewhat in line with what it has been so far, even if Seager can – can move and who knows where he is right is he at seven is he at six is he at eight i mean we don't know we just know the top five at least from what uh the latest publication from mlbpr um maybe what happens a couple of years ago in 14 happens again there's an injury there's an opening seager is able to slide in because goodness knows he's playing like an all-star yeah because you start comparing numbers castellanos from detroit obviously having a great season he had an incredible start he's coming out yeah so you're kind of catching him in that regard Evan Longoria quietly is having uh, a nice season for know, Tampa Bay. He's playing like an all-star, man. You yeah. know, it's funny. We think of Longoria as an all-star every year. He hasn't. He was an all-star each of his first three seasons. He hasn't been back to the Midsummer Classic since 2010. And he's playing probably better than he has at any time since the start of 2011. Uh, he just was American League Player of the Week. I mean, Longoria has as good of a case to make as Kyle Seager does. Yeah. Uh, I mean, really... We say this about Kyle, it seems like, every year. If he could just avoid that one month, that one bad month, you kind of feel like he'd be a 300 hitter. He would be uh, a guy with 30 bombs, 30-plus bombs, and certainly pushing 100 ribbies, uh, or at least mid-90s. But, hey, he's human. <laughs> he does. Every guy has a bad month, it seems like, uh, on, a, on a yearly basis. And this year, Seegers is right out of the gates, uh, which is too bad. But... My goodness, is there anybody you'd rather have right now at third base than Kyle Seager? I don't. The list is pretty short. I know. With a what a month to go before the All Star game, it's going to be interesting to see where his numbers end up in comparison. I don't know if he's got Machado's baseman. right hook though. Does he have? Does he? That's a good question. You know? we don't know that, do we? <laughs> we probably won't ever know, knowing Kyle. <laughs> Machado Odor, who do you like there? I take Odor. All day, <laughs> every day. You know, we not to get off topic, I, I, we obviously know the Rangers broadcast crew very well. And I remember talking to them when Odor made his debut and like a month into it. And we're all joking in the mail room, in the meal room, and they're saying, listen, if I got a street fight, the guy that I want is Rugnan Odor because this guy is, I mean, he's an animal. He's somebody that you, you don't want to play against, but you want on your team, yeah. that type of guy. And, yeah, I'll take Odor all day. <laughs> okay, now we got to get to James Paxson, who came up and throwing 100 miles per hour, which is something you don't see every day, especially from a starter. But wow, that's incredible! It's when you think back to Paxton from years past, he already had elite velocity. Right. And now he's got superhuman velocity. I had a really good conversation with James the other day. By the way, he's one of my favorite guys to talk with. He makes his home here in the offseason. Uh, he couldn't be more pleasant. He is the prototypical nice Canadian guy. I mean, that is <laughs> right. I mean, that's James Paxton. He's got the maple leaf tattoo and everything. He couldn't be more, more pleasant to speak with uh, about anything. And 
He was sitting at his locker the other day, and I was just dying to talk to him about that start the other night against the Indians. And we first started off talking about his arm slot. And he said that in AAA, they were able to show him data on his arm slot, which I haven't heard many pitchers talking about those two things in conjunction with one another. He said that with his old arm slot, which as we both know, G-Man, is just right, mm-hmm. straight, he's just reaching to the moon, yeah. right over the top. Yeah. His, if you imagine a line drawn right down the middle of your body, right, right through the tip of your nose, all the way down between your ankles, his release point was one foot off center. Right, off center of right down the middle. And it was at about seven feet in the air. Wow. So a foot off center, seven feet off the ground. His new arm slot, which he, I think, very accurately describes as three quarters, mm-hmm. is now two feet off center and about six feet four inches off the ground. So like I think we can all wow. kind of I think yeah. we can all kind of visualize that. Yeah. That makes it very simple to if we didn't know already kind of what that new delivery is and and one of my other questions to james does the arm slot explain the jump in velocity to where you're pounding 99 to 101 like 20 times (laughs) (laughs) 20 times right right? i mean in like six innings Uh and he believes and this makes sense i'm interested in what you think on it he he, he kind of showed me that with his old arm slot, he was almost kind of arching back. I mean, his his back was almost uncomfortable in his delivery. And now he's got so much more his, – his lower body and his core are so much more centered and underneath him that he can engage those muscles and that strength and channel that energy towards his delivery. And so what we saw before was 94 to 97 with the occasional 98 – basically just arm and shoulder and now he's got a lot more work and we know that he lost 20 pounds during the offseason he's in better shape now so you would imagine stronger leaner of course so uh because i by the way i asked him after his first start when he was blowing 99 a couple of times i said was this just because you were amped up and obviously it was a very tough start for him and he said yeah i think the i think that velocity was probably just because i was really I was pretty fired up to be on a big league mount again. Well, this is the second time now, so maybe there's still some lingering effect. But I mean, he, he thinks as he's engaging, you know, more strength in his delivery now, more a more efficient delivery. Uh, which, my goodness, I know you've Gary, you've done, you've done some phenomenal research on it in terms of recent history with lefties, which I know we'll hear from you about, which because it's fantastic. But it's it's like nothing we've ever seen before. Yeah. No, it's rare. I mean, it's completely rare to have a lefty throwing like that. And I I think he's exactly right. Because if you take a picture of him when he was kind of in mid-motion, his former motion, his hand would almost be on the ground. His other hand would be up. I mean, it was was such a strange looking. It's like he was going to throw the ball to the moon. Yes. That's the way it looked. Like like almost shooting an arrow. I I mean, that's that's the way it looked. That's the way it looked. And now I, I think that's a perfect way to put it. But... I mean, that kind of velocity. Velocity is everything, but that kind of velocity is very intriguing. And by the way, I asked him about, he threw a pitch to Tyler Naquin, a left-handed hitter, that was at about 84 miles an hour. And I thought, did he just throw a left-on-left changeup? Because I don't remember Paxton doing that in previous years. And so I asked him, and he said, no, that was my curveball at 84 miles an hour. You know, sometimes you say, oh, a slow curve. (laughs) (laughs) That is not as, I mean, that that would be the... I would have to imagine the highest velocity of a curveball in the major leagues from a starter. I mean, it almost has to be. I can't imagine one. 
I mean, it's slower than 100, for example, <laughs> <laughs> but so, not slow. But the thing that I find really interesting, and I asked James about it, is you look at so his curveball is up in velocity with the new arm slot. His fastball clearly is. Um, and the changeup appears to be a little bit too, according to him, although I haven't noticed it as much. He just doesn't throw that pitch quite as much. And yet the cutter has stayed the same. It's at 91. And we've heard Scott Service say, well, I call it a slider, Scott says. But James, I, I said to James, is it a cutter or a slider? And he said, well, I still think of it as a cutter. Okay. But now it's don't, it's kind of profiling more as a slider because yeah. now that arm slot has dropped it. Yeah. So now it gets the tilt. It's not just getting the horizontal break that his old cutter got. And certainly with the added velocity of his fastball, the differential in velocity, right, from 91 to let's just call his average fastball 98 <laughs> for sake of conversation, right? That's a, that seven-mile-an-hour span is more inherent to a, a slider than it would be if he was throwing a 94-mile-an-hour fastball and a 91-mile-an-hour cutter. So I think we, we could probably, even if in his head he's throwing a cutter, I think it's kind of safe. It's kind of safe to say now it's a slider, yeah. both in terms of velocity and the, the plane of it. This went too fast. we got to do it it's again It's like a Paxton fastball, is that what you're saying? <laughs> yes, yeah. that's exactly right. Yeah. Good stuff. It's good to do one of these in person, by this the way. This is fun. We should do this yeah. more often. I yeah, know. There's no, like, internet disconnection with Skype. And, <laughs> right. You know, your kids aren't barking in the background. Uh, My kid's not crawling uh, up the stairs. I'm wearing a shirt. Well, you know, that's not all. <laughs> yeah, no, this is good. Now we're going to hear from Shannon Dreyer with Tom McNamara. It's the Mariners Clubhouse Insider Report. Shannon Dreyer here in the dugout with the draft coming up on Thursday. Who better to talk to with Tom McNamara, who's been all over the country just uh, seeking out all of that young amateur talent. And a big day coming up on Thursday, Tom. And uh, it's a different day. We, we've seen so many, obviously, uh, just so many new people in this organization, so many new philosophies. How has this impacted your department and the draft, the upcoming draft? It's been a huge impact um, more resources uh, more manpower more experienced looks instead of having you know five scouts at five games now we might have eight scouts at five games but experienced ex-professional players player development people play uh, professional scouts going into seeing amateur players and then going back to the pro scouting but the draft only comes around once a year. So I think the more experienced evaluators, plus, plus the process, uh, managing information, I would say is the number one thing that we're about. Risk, uh, common sense, you know, just making or doing everything you can to make the best decision. You said so many things right there. I'm going to key in on two right now because unless you want to tell me who you're picking, we'll just get out of the no, way. No, okay. you know what? Right. We, we uh, You know, right now we, we have uh, at 11, we don't know the three or four teams ahead of us. There's always a surprise. Um, and, you know, a, a lot of times the guy you think you're getting, you never get, uh, which could be frustrating at times. But... Um, you know, we're, we're putting ourselves in position to whatever happens ahead of us, we'll be prepared to make the best pick we can make. And as you just said, that's with more resources and more people. And one of the things that jumped out at me is you said professional scouts looking at amateurs. And that's a little bit different because their eyes are different. How does a pro scout look at an amateur versus an amateur scout look at an amateur? I've done both. Um, you know, I think on the amateur side, you gotta you got to dream a little. 
you know, on the pro side, you really condense it. You know, when you're scouting high A and double A, um, you know, you, you can't use your imagination as much as you can on the amateur side because you're dealing with 17-year-old kids, college players. Um, what do they do? Uh, what do you like about the player? What can they be? And then you kind of manage the risk the best of, the best you can. You mentioned philosophy as well. How would you sum up the philosophy? I would say managing the information, um, obviously evaluating talent, that's huge. Um, history of what works and what doesn't work. Uh, common sense. I mean, you know, you don't walk by a six foot five high school right hand pitcher that throws in the mid 90s with a really good breaking ball, you know, with a good delivery and good arm action, uh, medical information, ice testing, uh, psychological testing. There's a lot, you don't just go into the room and pick the players you want and, you know, you don't take it personal, you know, when there's someone else in the room that doesn't see a player like you do. You just you just merge them and you just listen to everyone's opinion. And, you know, where we're picking, um, you know, we, we really feel good about getting, you know, a really nice player at number 11. And if you don't have that attitude, you're in the wrong business. Lastly, how would you characterize this draft class this year? I think it's balanced. It's pretty well balanced. Um, I think there's more college position players that are going to go pretty good. Where we're picking, uh, there's not a shortage of talent. We're, ju- we're just hoping that uh, you know the players that we really want are there at 11. I wish you all the best. Thanks a lot. Thanks for having me, Shannon. Appreciate it. And that was Tom McNamara. When we come back, we'll have the picks to click after this word from our presenting game sponsor, Farmers Insurance, celebrating 40 years as a proud Mariners radio sponsor. See you later!